All right. Uh, you you tend to do the intros more often. Would you like to to lead us off? The intros. I write them all. I don't make them up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good yet. <laughs> Welcome to Physics Alive. I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from teachers, researchers, and science communicators. I hope you enjoy. Good Physics Day, everyone. Today, I'm bringing you not an interview, but a conversation. I've teamed up with my physics colleague, Brian Lane, from the University of North Florida. And you may remember him from such episodes as episode 12, where I interviewed him about his YouTube channel, Let's Code Physics. And then in episode 32, he turned the tables on me and interviewed me as part of the Florida section of the AAPT Fall 2021 meeting. But now we're getting together to talk about the 2022 AAPT virtual winter meeting. So we both attended this winter meeting and we thought, Hmm, this could be an interesting conversation where we get together at the end of each day and we talk about our overall impressions of the day and the things that we learned and the sessions that we attended and what we gained from those and just kind of muse on the physics and education community as a whole. So the virtual winter meeting was held from January 6th to January 8th. Now, the first day of the meeting, the 6th, uh, was simply the meeting of the members. We, we did talk a little bit about some of the ideas that came forward during that meeting, but we really focus on day one of the meeting. And in fact, I will have a, this first episode is going to be all about day one. And then the second episode uh, that I'm going to release right after this one is going to be about day two. And not only will I speak with Brian Lane on that episode, we've, we also invited Dr. Ann Leake, an assistant professor of elementary and middle grades at the Stout School of Education at High Point University. So we're, there's three of us now going to be musing during that second day. We thought that would be an even more fun conversation to have three viewpoints. So in case you're curious what this is going to be all about, the general topics that we discussed today are uh, basically the meetings in general, some of the musings we heard from the meeting of the members. We talked then first about the plenary session by Fred Myers and our impressions of that and what we, what we gained from, from that talk. We bring attention to a statement that the AAPT made regarding concerns about the naming of the space telescope called the James Webb Space Telescope in light of some concerns that have been brought up about some actions or maybe inactions that James Webb had made uh, back when he was an administrator of NASA. And then we begin to get into talking about some of the invited and contributed sessions. Uh, it, early on, it's kind of quantum, 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 as that seemed to be a, a big piece that we noticed there. But then we, we end up talking a little bit about uh, a talk about climate change and also one in the realm of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And finally, to end, talk about the sessions, we talk about a board game. And then the last piece we discuss is a forward-looking question that Brian posed to both of us, which is what would we like to hear about at upcoming AAPT meetings? So without further ado, let's hop into the conversation. Today was the, it's on the calendar as the second day of the winter meeting, but this was definitely the first day of, of talks during the AAPT winter meeting of 2022. 
which everybody is saying will hopefully be the last virtual one. We'll see if that's true at the end of all this. <laughs> oh, to please, elaborate please. on to elaborate on that point, uh, a couple of times the folks from AAPTI I've met with say they are committed to mm. an in-person meeting in uh, in summer 22 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I mean, certainly, hopefully by that point, all ages will be eligible for the vaccine. And so then it's, you know, I mean, that's kind of the best we can do, you know, at that point, uh, you know, apart from another enormous spike going on. That one of them did, somebody did mention uh, in the chat during the plenary today that they would try to have some remote component to it. Mm -hmm. uh, because I do know they've seen except for this meeting, we might talk about that in a second, but <laughs> except for this meeting, they have seen more attendance oh, at the virtual okay. meetings because tr travel is a significant you know, barrier for a lot of folks, either financially or getting away from uh, work responsibilities or arranging childcare, et cetera. And so being able to pop in remotely um, certainly is beneficial to people, but I think uh, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, we're all kind of feeling the slog, as it were, mm -hmm. of so many virtual meetings at this point. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting you mentioned that there's there's a sense that maybe there's attendance has been a little bit up because of that, of being more able to attend based on the cost and whatnot, uh, especially given the, the numbers. I, I attended the, the meeting of the members last night, and one of the one of the ideas brought up in the meeting was that uh, attendance at AAPT meetings has been falling, not just in pandemic times, but over the last mm -hmm. decade. And it, the numbers of, of membership is the membership has fallen by membership about, has fallen. Yeah. 1,500, but in, especially amongst high school teachers, especially amongst high school. Yes. Which you think are the ones who are probably not getting much funding from their school to go travel to a conference and in the winter meeting, they're in session. Right, um, right. Uh, I guess the summer meeting, they're probably off. And I guess that's when a lot of the high school teachers tend to attend. Yeah, it's I'm not sure. I've been getting confused about that the last couple of years because the winter meeting is always smaller than summer because summer is is more guaranteed to be able to get away from work responsibilities. Winter is it, it seems to be hit or miss for people. But it seems like it seems like both the high school and the university presence is stronger at the summer meeting. I know at least on the PER side, PER is way more represented at summer than it is at oh, winter. Okay. And so and so maybe it's maybe it's the the folks who are sort of in the middle of well I teach I'm all, this is also sort of my scholarship. You know, maybe, maybe that's where the winter meeting comes in and the folks who need, you know, who need another presentation for the year or who need another workshop to figure out what mm. they're doing for their class or something. I'm, I'm not sure that that would be an interesting, uh, it would be interesting to break that down by demographics, I feel like. Well, for our listeners who have joined us today and uh, thank you, thank you for doing so, or our YouTube listeners, YouTube watchers or podcast listeners, you probably don't watch the podcast. Audience, uh, audience. Uh, the, the audience, uh, you're here for, well, thank you for joining us. And uh, we, we would like to talk about, you know, our Im impressions and, and things that we remembered from this first day of the meeting. We'll also do that this after the second day as well. Uh, who knows how this will be released on my podcast. It might just be, I'll smush them all together, <laughs> but, but maybe they don't want to hear us blabber about our thoughts about how to solve the, the crises, but maybe it's like, what did we learn today? 
What uh, what did we learn from all the wonderful people we heard from? So yes, though, there were a lot of fantastic though, talks. Even though this is now a two dudes talking episode, we we really <laughs> want to use our voices to promote the other voices that we heard from. And so uh, I know I've got the links to the stuff I went to today open. And so I think we can try to compile those, uh, you know, to try to direct people to, you know, whatever, whatever sort of resources we can. But I think we're going to start uh, just kind of go chronologically, uh, start with the plenary. I know we were both there. Uh, Brad, mm -hmm. what was your main takeaway from the, from the plenary session? Well, so, and I don't know if everybody listening was in attendance today. So we heard, uh, it was a talk called physics for all wonder, magnificence, and joy by Fred Myers, who taught for 42 years in high school. That is, that is amazing to, to think about. And, and sort of the, just the way he described it, like you can hear the generations and as they changed, but probably the, uh, the, the story that I think got the gasps from everybody, not that you could hear any gaps, gasp online because you could see it in the chat, but you could, you could see it in the chat was he told this, this story that he, he brought and he showed this top that his, his father had, had given him. Uh, this uh, a spinning top, and he wanted to show it to his his teacher. I don't remember all the details of the story already, but he he, he wanted to be able to talk about the physics uh, of that in, to the class. And somehow the teacher basically took his hand and like was squeezing on his hand until he yelped in pain, mm -hmm. uh, and then said, "Don't ever you know ask that type of question again. Go sit down." And I just think, oh my gosh, okay, that can't happen in the world nowadays in our classrooms, I hope, I mean, mm -hmm. but maybe it doesn't happen physically, but I feel like it could still happen psychologically yeah. so easily if we're not, if we're not careful. And I think we're seeing a lot of the shifts in that over, especially over the last few years with, um, with thinking about diversity, equity, and, and mm -hmm. inclusion, thinking about this for, uh, for the underrepresented groups, but for everybody as, as a whole. And I think yeah. of, I know I've on my podcast, I've shared my, an experience I had in graduate school where I was in a sense, I wasn't called stupid for not knowing something, but I was definitely made to feel it as such yeah. with a very sharp response. And it's, uh, it's not a good feeling. And it's something that stuck with me. And Fred said, it's like, I wasn't scarred by the situation. And then he said, it's like, but since I'm telling the story 50 years later, it's like, maybe I was. Yeah. <laughs> And he I mean, persevered through it, but yeah. that's you, you not think, true for many people. Yes. I mean, you think about, we use that term resilience, you know, mm -hmm. in, in situations like that. And really people should not have to be resilient to learn about the things they are interested in. And it's like, yeah, yeah he was resilient to get through that. He, partly because he had the, the, the cultural capital to get through something mm -hmm. like that and to come back from it and to say, well, no, physics really is for me. When a student is already thinking physics really isn't for me, I'm not supposed to be here. I kind of snuck in here. I don't look like the teacher. I don't look like anybody in my textbook. When they have an experience like that, you know, physical altercation or no, it just reinforces that. And they don't have that, you know, that cultural capital built up to say, no, I'm going to persevere through this because I'm really interested. They're going to say, well, I'm going to go where I'm interested and where I'm welcome. Yeah. Uh, but on more positive notes yeah. of things, you know, one of the things that, that struck me in, you know, as, as he was sort of introducing himself was he, he mentioned that he felt lucky and blessed to, to have taught for his whole career. And people can say stuff, but, you know, the way, the way he said it, 
you know, sort of the look in his eye as he was saying it. It's like you could really feel that. It's like he truly felt lucky that he got to spend his lifetime uh, working with students and and helping them learn. And it's it's the sort of thing. And you know, just a couple of episodes that I, I did where I, I interviewed some of the some of the education award winners um, last year. It, you know, I, I got that feeling from them as well, that there was this authentic love of, of teaching. And it's, 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 it's always a joy for me to see other teachers experiencing that. Yeah. One of the things he talked about uh, at length was the physics first approach that mm -hmm. he has been a big advocate for. So the, the way I went through in high school and the way I think it works for most people is they start biology, then go chemistry, then go physics, which uh, you know, I, I know we're trying to get away from pyramid diagrams, et cetera, but you know, when you think about the pyramid of science where physics is the foundation, chemistry is the central science, and then biology is what you get when all this stuff happens together in a way that replicates itself. Um, conceptually, it kind of makes sense to start with physical principles that are sort of the foundation of the universe, the things that happen everywhere, not just with living systems. And then you get to chemistry to say, okay, when these particular sets of forces happen with these particular subatomic particles clustered together into atoms, this is what you get. This is the type of reactions you get. And then when those chemicals get together and form cells and the cells form tissues and the tissues form organs, we get this thing called biology. And so you could, it, it really, in, in my mind, it promotes sort of this holistic view of the universe that everything mm, is connected, everything yeah. is based on each other. And yet we are stuck in this pattern of going the other way. And, and somebody brought up a good question in the chat, which was, well, how do you support going the, going the upward direction mathematically? Because really, I, I, in my mm. mind, the primary reason we do biochem than physics is that we're scaling up the mathematical complexity. I mean, I, I remember taking ninth grade biology. I don't really remember any math in it. Um, you know, lo looking back, mm -hmm. I can see that those uh, genetic tables with the dominant recessive, dominant recessive on the columns and the and the and the rows. Right. That's that's of, all I saw mathematically. It's yeah. Uh, that's in kind of grade. A, yeah. That, yeah. That's a kind of a mathematical thing. Like it's 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 the the logical reasoning side of math, not necessarily the number crunching function graphing stuff. And so, you know, I, I, I understand the way we do that, but at the same time, I, I don't know, I feel like the average ninth grader is probably capable of more mathematically than we typically give them credit for. I don't know if you have any thoughts or experience with that. Well, and, and I, I remember in eighth grade, I had a physical science class and uh, I don't really remember the mathematical rigor of, of that class. It must not have been too much, but I, I do remember you know, learning the periodic table of, of elements. I remember boron was the one that I had to make with styrofoam. Um, <laughs> uh, and I had a positive experience from that class. So I, I think this idea of, it seems like this idea of physics first shouldn't be that hard to, to come across because if you start that in ninth grade, once you get to 12th grade, it's like now that becomes what the free for all year that the, mm -hmm. now that you've gone through your three sciences, now you can sort of choose what you want. So mm -hmm. there's still there's still a place for your your AP physics uh, or and, dare we say, or, or dare we say there's a place for you to do something interdisciplinary or, inter, or <laughs> something else, right, right? Some sort of, or yeah, engineering or biochemistry, physics, you know, make some sort of combo of all that. <laughs> I think it also sort of speaks to, you know, the underlying question of what are we doing with the math in our physics classes? 
Because yes, we, we use Torturing. math to do physics all the time, but you can a student can understand physics conceptually without wrangling 500 mm -hmm. equations over the course of the semester. And so I, I kind of wonder if, you know, you mentioned building boron out of styrofoam. I wonder if taking a more holistic model building approach might help reinforce that physics mm -hmm. first construct where you're, I, I, you know, I mean, I mean, what, what does a truly conceptual physics course look like? I don't even know that I can separate the math well enough in my mind to even, you know, mm. begin to design such a thing. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like the conceptual has the math built into it. I mean, the conceptual is you're yeah. thinking, we're beginning to think in terms of equations, but they don't have to be hard ones. We can, yeah. for the most part, there can be a lot of linear equations. And I yeah. think any ninth yeah. grader um, should be able to, to be able to think in that direction. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I, th I think, I, be I believe I remember Fred mentioning sort of the it's like you want to make sure the math is there, but you don't want to have too much math. There should you yeah. should be able to find that moderate moderated yeah. point. <laughs> well, and, and and who's to say that you know having having algebra introduced more in a physics context that that might even help them learn the algebra better because they're seeing what it is or one way that it is used. You know, I mean you know, you know, certainly math teachers have a challenge where it's like, well, show me an application of this. And it's like, well, what isn't an application of this? But, you know, <laughs> if, if they, if they had it contextualized long-term in something like, you know, let's, you know, I'll, I'll skip ahead to one of the talks I, I, I was in later today. Um, you know, let, let's say it's in the context of increasing global temperatures, you know, that immediately has the student's attention. We're going to do the same type of math we would be doing anyway, mm. but now it's in a problem that we can actually talk about and have a discussion about that's not, okay, X was equal to 7.2. Let's move on, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask a provocative question from the plenary. Um, the speaker several times kind of made these offhanded comments and they would say, I'm sorry, I know that sounds elitist. Uh -huh. Usually when he would say, Yay, raw physics. We all know physics is the best. Physics promotes critical thinking. <laughs> physics is all these great things. And I, I, I did not get the sense that he was actually saying physics is a superior class and physicists are superior to other people, et cetera. But I do think he was trying to capture the unique excitement we seem to have for our subject, right? So I, I, I wonder, do you think it's, it's actually elitist for us to think that physics is quote unquote, the best or quote unquote, the most enjoyable, or at the very least unique among the other academic subjects in the way that we kind of approach it and, and are excited about it. Oh man. You want to be up till midnight tonight? By the way, we're recording it at 1030 right at night right now after it. So yes, uh... this is, this is the raw <laughs> and uncut physical life. <laughs> I would like to think that we can all make space for everybody to be excited about what they're excited about and have that be meaningful to them. So that if we, as folks who have gone into physics, think that this is, this is the cat's meow for us, uh, then that's fantastic. But re realizing that for my wife, the cat's meow is, is biology. And, and maybe that wasn't for me, but I'm, I'm opening to experiencing more of that and appreciating it more, but, uh, it's also, it's not going to be, it's not going to be my main thing, although I'm 
it has sort of becoming a main thing with my interest in intro physics for the life sciences. But so that would be, I guess that's sort of my, my rough answer that I would want to say that, I mean, I don't, I don't think I can stand behind physics as it's like that. It's the best. It's definitely the best. Yeah. Um, I can stand behind the idea of it being a foundational piece to the other sciences. Um, but in a way it's like you, you can understand a lot of biology without understanding anything in, in physics, but it's certainly, it's certainly helpful. But so I, I believe there, there is, there's these foundational principles that you talk about that, that pyramid. Uh, and I, I think there is some, some truth to that, but I think there's also a lot that can't be described by physics necessarily in, in biology, unless we come up with an equation for evolution. I very much agree with you. I, I, cause I've had these conversations with folks, not just in other sciences, but, you know, but from humanities, from history, et cetera. And they come at it from the attitude of, well, no, we have to, we have to be interdisciplinary and we have to appreciate everything that humans have ever studied <laughs> and, you know, kind, kind of try to understand everything. And I say, but, but I think that my subject is the best. Don't you think your subject is the best? Like, like, like when I say physics is the best, I mean, subjectively, physics is my favorite. And maybe I need to replace best with favorite, you know, because mm -hmm. that's a subjective thing. People can't tell me what my favorite is. But I, 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 my mind just, just cannot, I cannot wrap my mind around the notion of going and studying something for years and years and getting a PhD and, you know, dedicating yourself to the stuff. <laughs> And not thinking that your subject is awesome and not thinking that your subject has something unique to offer to the world and that it's number one, at least on your list. Mm -hmm. And you're going to try <laughs> to make it high up on your students list, if not number yes. one. Yes. Yeah. And so maybe what I need to learn to do is communicate that subjective nature of it more uh, clearly, because I, because I certainly don't expect a humanities PhD to think that physics is the best. Otherwise they would have a physics PhD, mm -hmm. but I hope I can get them excited about it. You know, if we have a conversation about it. Um, yeah, no, I, that's, that, that was kind of how I interpreted uh, the speaker's comments, but I, you know, I, 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 mm -hmm. I totally understand that people have a different experience with that. Well, and there were, there were a number of times, quite a number of times, I think that he said, well, this is what we said back then. You probably couldn't say this anymore. And, and this is where we begin to see, uh, you know, that, that generational gap of, yeah. you know, yeah. he's retired now, he, you know, he's 40 years advanced of where we are. And there were different mindsets at that time. And we're shifting those mindsets now, but you know, a lot of those stories are going to come from a previous, yeah. a previous time. Yeah. Okay. I, I was just going to, I was just going to launch into it. No, I, I shouldn't go. So one of the other ones I will. <laughs> One of the other ones mentioned at, at the meeting, the members meeting last night was uh, the AAPT's support for uh, for changing the name of the, the Webb telescope. And it, it mm -hmm. brought to, to light some information that I hadn't heard before about, uh, about this sort of when this individual was the administrator of mm -hmm. was he an administrator of NASA or um, I, I don't quite remember this. I didn't read through the, the documents they provided yet. Probably Google. Let's just Google who was James Webb, because as I understand he was, he made significant contributions to advancements in NASA. Um, yeah, yeah. Administrator of NASA from 1961 to 1968 played an integral role in the Apollo program. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, that was a good contribution. That was a wonderful contribution. 
there are other activities that were very unwonderful. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the constant tension between do you honor the, the good things that people do, or do you, do you dissociate from them, you know, for the, you know, for the, for the, for the legit, for the legitimately mm-hmm. unpleasant things that they have done. It can be easy to make the comment of, well, that's a generational difference. It's yeah. like back then yeah. there were more people that thought A, B, and C, but it's like, yeah. but back then there were also a lot of people that didn't think that. And, and maybe we, we have to focus more on celebrating those folks who made great contributions and uh, yeah. they, they didn't fall into some of those, those traps of, 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 of negative thought or, um, not supporting the many groups that are out there in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's switch over now to the next session. So, and this is, I feel like this is going to be the hard part. At least there was one plenary. We both saw it. We can have a conversation about it now from three to four o'clock there. And I don't, did it seem like there were more simultaneous sessions it at does once seem, than the in-person meetings? Yeah. It does seem that they, um, I, I, I would need to go back and look at actual links, but I feel like this meeting is shorter in terms of the net duration. And it seems like they have more stuff going on at a time. I, um, I felt more torn than ever about which sessions I wanted to attend. And unfortunately, because it was on Zoom and I didn't have to run back and forth from physical rooms, I jumped around a little bit and that wore me out. Yeah, that and can be I think I'm not going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Now a big picture thing I kind of noticed, and I don't know if it's because I was looking at the program with a more critical eye about, um, interpreting what I see that I might normally, when I'm normally, I'm just like, what's <laughs> my favorite session. I want to go to that one. Uh, but this, I feel like there was a lot of quantum sessions, like a whole lot, you know, there was, there was quantum at the college level. And then there was, there was quantum at the K through 12 level. And I saw a lot of reference to quantum information systems and engineering. Uh, and then there was also 21st century physics, which was more or less quantum. And it's like, there was a session after session. And I, I just wonder, like, does, did that seem normal to you? Or is there is there beginning to be a little bit more emphasis, especially at the K through 12 level for bringing, bringing these ideas in? So I organized two of those sessions. Oh, okay. So I know at least- You were at fault. I am at fault. I, I, I requested one session for four invited talks and they split it up into two sessions with two invited talks each, which these mm. sessions are also shorter, which is kind of nice. You get a, a break a little bit sooner. And I was not able to, you know, talking about the number that's been scheduled in parallel, I was not able to MC my second one that I planned because my talk was mm. scheduled at the same time. Um, so when I proposed mine, it was under the guise of, we know quantum is important and it's increasingly important. We also know we are still very much struggling with how to teach it. And so can we maybe have a session on the practical approaches of, of overcoming quantum difficulties? And I guess there were just other organizers who we're hopping on the the, the quantum bandwagon. Um, mm-hmm. If if we want to jump into one of the the talks that I that I uh, presided over this afternoon, um, the two talks that I uh, that I saw at the three o'clock hour were about um, quantum industry demands, 
and mm-hmm. this this coming that they're calling it the quantum 2.0 revolution um one of my speakers uh talked about how that's probably not the best terminology because for us it's been a continuous evolution like it's it's not like quantum mechanics went away and now it's come back it's really the more quantum like quantum continuum no yeah, that doesn't yeah, exactly. that, there's a that's a paradox yeah and so <laughs> And so part of the argument they were making is, look, it's, it's not that anything new is going on with quantum mechanics. It's that industry is now paying attention to it because they're recognizing that they need people who can work in material science and with nanoscale devices and with quantum computing and quantum sensors and confession. I'm still not exactly sure what a quantum sensor is. Because it, it turns out they're mostly interested in the quantum computing material science side. They haven't, industry hasn't quite gotten around to the to the to the quantum sensor uh, piece of it yet. Um, but basically, industry has kind of realized, oh, this is where this is going. We need a workforce that's trained in this. In the same way that for the last hundred years we've needed a workforce that's trained in classical mechanics. And so, mm-hmm. when you think about the level of physics knowledge that you want your average citizen to have about classical mechanics, whether they work in that field or not, right? We want them to know that forces are a big deal and energy is a big deal. And if we can just get those two vocabulary words in their head and get anything in terms of that framework, then we've done our job. They can go on, learn whatever else it is they need. Thinking about it in the same level in terms of, we need the general populace to have some idea of what goes on in the quantum realm we can steal that term, Um, you know, in terms of uncertainty principle, the universe being fundamentally probabilistic, uh, you know, what, you know, when, when we see these orbital diagrams in a chemistry textbook, what do they actually mean? Like, what are they actually doing? Um, And so, uh, you know, know, part of it is how, how do we teach it better? How do we teach it at the high school level? How, you know, what specifically do we need for these uh, industry, you know, career tracks. One of the interesting things that came up in uh, one of the talks that I that I saw is that they did interviews and surveys of these graduates from these quantum information uh, graduate programs that are starting up, uh, where it's specifically focused on feeding the industry pipeline, getting you equipped with all the quantum stuff you need. And they found that uh, it, the the percentage breakdown in terms of the careers that people went to was still pretty much the same. It was about half academic and half uh, industry. Mm-hmm. And only 10% at most is going into the quantum industry stuff. The rest are going into the same stuff you go to with, with a standard physics PhD or a standard engineering PhD. Like they're going into engineering positions, they're going into big data analysis, stuff like that. And so they're finding stuff to do and they are getting well-trained, but I, the sense I got was that the, the industry demand has not quite ramped up as much as we think it's going to hmm. within the next okay. you know, 10, 20 years. Yeah, if you ask me what all the careers were that you could go into where quantum mechanics, quantum, quantum mechanics knowledge was, was truly important, I don't, I don't think I could answer that, that question. Um, I don't think I could, but I think there's two reasons for that. One is because, you know, you and I are not looking into those career tracks. That's true. So yep. We, we that's are right. not on that wavelength. <laughs> but also, I mean, you think about, you know, when, when, when we hear IBM or Google, et cetera, talk about their quantum computer stuff, we really have no idea what they're doing because it's all trade secret. 
And so it's like part of it is this this aura of vagueness that <laughs> industry is creating where they want these buzzwords and they want these concepts, but they don't actually tell us what the heck they're doing. What did I what did I I'm looking at my my sheet of notes here. What did I get out of some of these these quantum ones? So I, I hopped in and out of, in and out of a couple of sessions because I was kind of curious about certain talks. You know, one of them uh, was uh, the QuarkNet masterclass. Students become particle physicists for a day. And uh, I, I didn't quite catch the beginning of that one. So I, I missed some of the, the backstory, but I, I, love, I love being able to have most of the PowerPoint slides on hand as I'm kind of you know, getting a sense of which talks to attend. Or even if I couldn't attend one, the PowerPoint slides are, are, are already there. So that, that's been nice. But it, uh, it looks like in, in better days when we could actually travel, they would travel to a, a university site, maybe that had somebody who, who specialized in thinking about these sorts of topics, or, or maybe had some kind of, uh, maybe some sort of collider or, or bigger detector at that university. And there's a mentor presentation, they have got lunch together, there's a lab tour, and then there's a masterclass measurement where you actually get to see some kind of data that the equipment takes. And then you go ahead and try to analyze that. And I don't. I just thought that was a, a great, a great little th the thing to do, just to to be able to think about sort of these big particle colliders. They're they're sort of big and sexy, um, and it's it's a way to capture people's attention. Like the biggest things in the universe and the smallest, yeah. like that. That's where you can then capture people, uh, and then bring them into your class and club them over the head with forces. But uh, <laughs> no, which I also don't agree with. Um, being my my interest in in teaching physics that might be relevant for people which i know is that's that's a big that's a big question what does that mean in in high school what does it mm -hmm. mean to be to be relevant well maybe it becomes what does it mean to be interesting what are the the current topics uh mm -hmm. that that they may that they may face in 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 industry work but anyway that was one that was one that jumped out at me yeah i saw a few talks that were similar to that where the general theme seemed to be let's bring in active physics research topics into the introductory or maybe high school context. And the point somebody made that was, that was really interesting is, look, it, um, if you're not bringing in quantum stuff, dark matter, cosmic rays, et cetera, you're presenting to them a subject where the case is closed. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like nobody is further developing classical mechanics. But if we, if we can bring in these modern topics, then you're presenting them with a scientific field that is under active development and that they could go and participate in potentially. And, and I, I, I'm all in favor of that argument. I am absolutely on board with that. I think that's definitely the direction that, that, that we need to go in. The question I have and this is me coming at this from a theorist, from a theoretical perspective, right? Is, is okay, so I wanna bring in, so let's say I wanna bring in some dark matter detection into my high school physics class, great. Okay, I, you want me to show them data? You want me to show them what the experiment looks like? Cause I'm obviously not gonna find any dark matter in my high school physics class. Like I'm not gonna have a dark matter lab. And so what, what a couple of these presentations were, were advocating was we'll take some of these big data sets and kind of present that to your students, maybe show them what a typical experiment looks like and have them work with the data that comes from the experiment. Like one of them, they were able to determine the speed of light from these uh, muon travel times and figure out that the muons travel mm. just under the speed of light 
think I saw that one later in the afternoon, right? They, yeah. Yeah. They, they even had a histogram of these different results. And there were a couple of bars that were above three times 10 to the eight. And so you can get the students to think that they broke physics. But mm -hmm. then you say, well, no, let's look at the error bars. Let's look at the average, look at the uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. And the question I have as, as somebody with not a lot of experimental background is, does it make a difference to the students when they're working with data if they're the ones who generated the data or if they're just plucking the data from somebody else's big experiment somewhere else? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I certainly think of many folks who teach physics really like the experimental aspect of it and like to be able to do the experiment and collect the data. Um, do the students have a preference? My suspicion is probably not. If, if there's a compelling, if there's a compelling story, if, mm. if they can see that it's like, oh, wow, it's like this, this is sort of like a, a more modern approach. It's like, here's the detector that, that took this. If there's a lot of, you know, setup involved with, like, if you just hand them a data set and you say, here, let's try to analyze this. You know, I don't, I don't think that's going to necessarily draw them in, but if, if there can be a bigger story wrapped around this, and I think this can be true for any topic that, that we teach, mm. if there's a bigger story wrapped around it to see the significance of what we're trying to do with that, uh, and, and take those pieces and, and make this interpretation. I mean, we, we certainly can, we certainly want to hope that, you know, with, with data science, uh, growing so much as a career field that, you know, we want future generations to be interested in having data handed yeah. to them uh, in order to, to analyze it and make sense of it and dig us out of all the holes that the previous generations got them into. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm digging through the slides now and they do spend a good chunk of space on the setup of the experiment. And here's the mountain it's that the detector is located mm -hmm. in, and here's mm -hmm. where the beam goes around. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, get, get me to the results. But you know, I, I can see for the student who's learning about that experiment for the first time that that's gonna be, that's gonna be a more engaging element than like you said, just, just hand them the data and do some analysis. Now there's definitely overhead, um, certainly for the, Certainly for the, the high school teacher, I'm thinking at least uh, as being physics majors and then going through graduate school as as well, that we've seen a lot of quantum along the way, although not necessarily uh, maybe a lot of these experiments or a lot of these these newer topics. But, you know, certainly somebody even with a, a physics degree, undergraduate degree probably hasn't seen that much quantum. And if it's like many high school physics teachers who are thrown into it without a physics degree, Mm -hmm. And they have no quantum experience. So there's really sort of the big overhead of, of learning that. And that, that I know that was, that was the case for one of the talks I looked at. I think it was the re-engineering the physics curriculum. Mm -hmm. is, this, is this the one that I want? Um, there was a website, quantumforall.org. And, uh, and the, the author was, um, the speaker was talking about, uh, you know, having workshops that you can, that you bring these, these teachers in to learn about these different types of experiments that you can do with students and the data sets that you can get for them. So it definitely becomes all about, about, all about training, but it's also about the motivation of how can we motivate teachers to be interested in teaching these topics and how do we fit that into the, uh, the, the standards that are out there? Because, um, I don't think quantum is maybe specifically listed within these standards well this one that i'm looking at right now um 
the graph is literally distance versus time straight line. Mm -hmm. Like, because they're, they're looking at um, time of flight tool, uh, time and geometry as shown, and they're, they're literally just looking at the speed of these muons coming out. But in order to get to that data, they have to talk about, you know, how the muons are produced, uh, how they're detected, what the path looks like, how the results are collected. But the actual, like the actual mathematical analysis is literally constant velocity motion. Let's graph distance versus time, get the slope. The slope is mm -hmm. 2.8 times 10 to the eight plus or minus some uncertainty. And so from that perspective, it lines up exactly with the standards. Mm, so okay, in, ter yeah. in terms of the stuff the students are sitting down and doing, they are doing the exact same thing as somebody in a uh, in 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 what for me was a pencil and paper physics class. Like I, I personally, I do not remember doing any labs in high school. Uh, like like it was a problem solving class, and so they, you would be doing the exact same math as as in a dry, boring, experimentless physics class. But like you said, the story surrounding it is much more engaging and is much more up to date. And so I think there maybe where quantum comes in is not so much the rigor, the technical stuff. Maybe quantum there is the story that frames why am I worried about distance versus time or why am I worried about potential mm -hmm. energy and kinetic energy? And so you use that as the venue for delivering the stuff that you need to teach based on the standards i just imagine like what what if what if there were no standards what if there was no what if like we we forgot how physics was had been taught for the last hundred years oh my gosh and, so and we could we could and we're presented with here is the literature on physics over the last two or three hundred years create any course you wish yeah what that what that would look like yeah <laughs> I and, mean, would, would, would we have mechanics and then E&M or would it be more like physics about force and energy? Where do force and energy come from? Well, usually charge. And, you know, maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you're not waiting until the second half to, to talk about fields. Maybe you're doing that from the beginning as, as the thing that gives you force. And, and what does it look like to bring in the topics that are like, maybe you want to focus mainly on 21st century topics. What, mm -hmm. what does that look like? How, how do you build up to, you know, understanding a detector, like let's say LIGO, um, like what, what are the, what are the base pieces you, you need without necessarily having to like start from the beginning with like, first we do kinematics, then we yeah. do dynamics. Yeah. It's like to really be able to reimagine, but when I was at the um, AAPT new faculty workshop, which listeners, if you get the opportunity to go to the new faculty workshop, please do so. It will change your life. Um, I was I was talking with another attendee who was teaching a sophomore level undergraduate quantum field theory course, and she was just she was just doing it based on the diagram. She was like, I teach them how to draw Feynman diagrams, and we go from there and we just, we, we set up the math and I, I just walk them through how to do it. And they're, they're learning about all the interactions, et cetera. And I said, so when they get to senior level quantum mechanics, it's going to be a special case. <laughs> like it's not going to be some big revolutionary thing. It's going to be, oh yeah, this is what QFT reduces to when you're not moving uh, through the speed of light. 
And so, yeah, I, I, I wonder if there's a way of, of getting it that way where it's like, you know, let's start with the interesting up-to-date stuff and then work our way backwards to, you know, this is where you get G equals 9.8 from. Now, the counterpoint to that is one of the reasons we start, we do start in classical mechanics is because that's the student's everyday experience. Like, mm. like if I can show them how their bicycle works, they've been riding a bicycle for probably a decade. And so it's a thing that makes sense to them. But on the other hand, there's not really... Correct. But do we wrong. really show them how the bicycle works? Do we show them how what gear, what the gears are doing, yeah. and uh, what what it means to shift, what it means to brake? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, well, and and to that point, we also don't teach classical mechanics in a way that ever surprises a student. Mm. You know, like like modern physics, that junior level mm. modern physics yeah. course is such a challenge because it's the first time you're ever surprised by physics. It's the first time that the behavior doesn't make sense, and it's even hard to to prompt students to say this result doesn't make sense because everything in physics is supposed to make perfect sense to you well at the um the risk of going to midnight it is it is 11 now mm -hmm. um so we've been talking a lot about quantum oh i had one more quantum one i was going to mention and then we can i have talk a about non some. i have a non-quantum one if you let's, want to let's, let's do a little non-quantum for now okay. and then there's there's one quantum one and i'm gonna have it be my last one because it was my favorite um, just because of the things I like in my life, it was my favorite. It also happened to be the very last session of the day. I'll, I'll save that. I'll save that. So what is your non-quantum? So my non-quantum is um, incorporating climate change consequences and solutions into introductory physics classes. This is by Charlie Sakari of the Astronomers for Planet Earth group. Go follow them on social media. Um, I, I like that term in the in the title, climate change consequences. I feel like that's putting it directly, but not putting it, um, not not hyping it to the point that students are going to disengage. But she, you know, presented this case about, um, you know, you know, obviously climate change is one of the most important applications we can talk about in a physics class. And she really drilled down to, let's just use this in these, you know, some of these simple problems that we uh that we do in class so like she's got a sample question about um average temperature of the earth um for 2020 was 1.19 degrees celsius warmer than the pre-industrial average how much warmer was 2020 in degrees fahrenheit and apparently students will come and say well it was 1.19 degrees fahrenheit warmer because they think that the conversion is going to cancel out if you're talking about a temperature difference versus an actual temperature value. And so you can kind of use that to reinforce the notion of, well, what does the temperature scale mean? What does the unit conversion mean? And yeah, just how big is one degree Celsius in our more familiar degrees Fahrenheit mm -hmm. and kind of drive that home a bit better. Um, and she also encouraged a lot of, um, of like, like student reflection um, about like, like, seeing this in their everyday lives. So she's got some articles in here about uh, Oregon's buckled roads and melted cables. So you could, do, you could take, you could take your, you know, your, your thermal expansion problem or your, or your heat exchange problem and put that in one of these contexts, instead of doing ice in water again, you could do it as cables melting on, on power lines. Hmm. Uh, and you could use, that is the context we're doing the same type of math you're doing because obviously you're not doing 
the full-fledged climate atmospheric modeling, right? You're saying, let's, we see the evidence that this is happening. Let's put it into the types of problems we're already doing and make that the context for, again, teaching the stuff that is in the standards that we have to talk about. But again, you know, going out of the thing I harp on a lot, mm. you know, the, the climate science stuff, it's driven by energy. It's not driven mm. by free body diagrams. We're not going to F equals our MA our way out of climate change. We're going to first and second law of thermodynamics our way out of climate change. And so, you know, I, I, I always encourage people to spend a little bit less time on those free body mm -hmm. diagrams and get to conservation of energy sooner. Well, and it's also, we're also not going to make any out of it by conservation of energy going from gravitational potential to yeah. kinetic energy. Yeah. Um, those are the easiest ones to solve, but there's a lot of other messy energy to, to think about. Yeah. It reminds me of some of the, the energy considerations with, uh, like energy theater and energy cubes and, and thinking about these different energy representations that can take on sort of these more complex pictures where you have thermal energy and, but hey, that wasn't one of the talks. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep going that direction. Energy theater <laughs> is a cool thing. I did see a demonstration <laughs> of that one time. That's yeah. <laughs> so one of, one of the, the other very important topics uh, that, that is a heavy piece. So I mentioned that the quantum mechanics shows up is, is a piece, but um, certainly the, the ideas around diversity, equity, and mm -hmm. inclusion. And that is, that is very present in this meeting. And the, one of the first talks I attended was uh, from uh, many of the folks from University of Pittsburgh and uh, Emily Marshman was, was giving this presentation on ecological belonging interventions to improve equity and inclusion in physics. And uh, I think the, the early part of the talk kind of struck me like the, the way it was broken down that what, what, is, um, what leads to students being motivated in class and when they're they're motivated, they'll 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 do well. And it's uh, there were there were basically three main pieces, and she spent a lot of time talking about those three pieces and how we can support those of the, a student's self-efficacy, um, them being able to say it's like I can do it. It's like them being able to see that I can actually do physics and believe that they can do it. Uh, a sense of belonging. So you know this is especially prevalent for for students of. Um, in underrepresented populations within our physics classes, but more broadly, uh, it can be anybody. There can, anybody can feel like they might not belong. Um, but uh, that was the second piece. And a third piece is the, the intelligence mindset, whether they, they feel mm. that their intelligence is fixed or whether there's that growth mindset piece. So it's, it's all three of these pieces. If we can help support students uh, with each of these and to help normalize their feelings. Uh, I think that was a piece that it's the way students feel is it's like we expect that, you know, when you first arrive in college, for instance, you're going to maybe feel like you don't belong, you're going to, to feel like you're trying to figure out the way to fit in and you're not sure we can, you can do this to help normalize that yes you of course you feel that. And I, I want to acknowledge that you feel like feel that and to now help provide resources to help you feel more belonging, to help you recognize that you can do this. And, you know, she was speaking about different writing exercises you could do to help sort of reflect, you know, a lot of this metacognition piece that to, to sort of recognize this. And, and if you can then tap into those three pieces that can help 
now the student's motivation and to do well in, in school and yay. So that was that was a, a, a wonderful talk. It was one that I, I attended for a little bit of and then I wanted to hop to some of the others. Um, but that, those are kind of the main takeaways I, I, I took from from what I saw. Yeah, I'll echo it's 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 good to see that the diversity considerations they're being sprinkled into all sorts of talks like it's not just the PER session on diversity, equity, inclusion, and it's not just the panel of women in physics that it's like, like, like on one on one of the ones that I saw um, on quantum industry stuff, it was you know, it was chugging along about the quantum stuff and then had a slide on. And here's what we're doing to make sure that in this new field of quantum information, we are making underrepresented groups feel welcome from the beginning instead of bootstrapping it on later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks, I'll be speaking with some folks from the underrepresentation curriculum. Awesome. Uh, so, and I've used, I used a little bit of some of those pieces in, in, um, in my course this, this past semester, but I'll be really interested mm -hmm. to learn a lot, a lot more about, about that project and what they're, what they're doing. So little teaser for folks who have Yay. made it this far. Yeah. <laughs> a board game. There was a board game. The quantum party board game. And this was, yeah, it was, it was a session that started at, or the last talk was at 515. They were supposed to all end at 515, but I think, but there was one. There There's was one always time for board games, Brad. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, this looked like a, a fun one. So there's, there's a, a little board. You have these, these, these cats who have gotten out of their boxes and they want to have a party. So okay, it's just sort they? of a, lo a loose little theme. Yeah. I think I have seen advertisements for that it's on my list of things to probably they, they started creating it in 2018 2019 okay. i think yeah. and i think it's been yeah. out for maybe a year or so and they've they've had some workshops on it already um, i might but, have seen it on a kickstarter or something but the, it's possible uh but the the, the premise is, is really kind of cool that it, it's trying to teach about uh some of the basic principles of of quantum mechanics about sort of the randomness and the probability mm -hmm. and that you know you get your we know these things to be what they are because uh, it's empirical, because we've done experiments, we've seen the data, and this is what we've seen from it. Um, so basically, the cats that you were trying to score points for um, play by different rules depending on what card you you pull. And there's there's four different sets of rules uh, for, you know, what were the experiments? For black body radiation, double slit, uh, photoelectric effect, and Rutherford gold foil. So based on the type of physics for each of those, uh, there's a certain different set of dice or a spinner that you use. And then based on how rare an event will be, if, if a more rare event comes up for you, you get to move your cat further in a less rare event. Uh, you don't move as far, but basically the rules keep changing throughout the, the game. And so you you learn about the, the fundamental quantum principles for each of these rules uh, because that, that sets how you essentially score points. So it looked like... a a, a cute, fun game. I, I think they they mentioned that like it may be best for sort of like the middle school, maybe into high school age. But they said oh, it's great. like, oh, our graduate students had fun playing it. So yeah. there's there's something yeah. for everybody. <laughs> yeah, because you with something like that, you either use it to introduce the concepts or you use it as a reflection piece to say where do you see the uncertainty principle represented in this game? Yeah, no, no, that's good for all ages. Yeah. So I need to have an episode on that because I've already got one board game episode, yeah. so I should I should have another one. <laughs> so that that's the that's the last talk I'll I'll, I'll end on. <laughs>
So maybe we'll end on a forward-looking question then. Um, you know, we, you, you know, you mentioned you looked over all the sessions. A lot of the quantum stuff seems to blend together. What would you like to hear about? Like, if you were to carve out space in the next AAPT meeting and say, I want to make sure that we talk about this because I don't think we're talking about this yet. What, what would you like to see appear on the schedule? Yeah, one of the ones I've mentioned before, and I, I think we got into it a little bit today, is about, you know, what, what are the careers that people are going into mm. um, nowadays? Like, so you get a physics degree and you don't go into academia because that's most people probably. That is normal. <laughs> yeah, that's normal. What are they going to do? And what are the types of careers that we can be looking into the future to be helping to prepare our students for those? Uh, what are the types of topics we should be spending more time on? You know, less free body, gram, free body diagrams, more energy. Right before the, that quantum party game, I, I happened to catch the tail end of a talk and I, I, I heard the speaker saying, it's like, yeah, you know, folks who, who work in quantum industry never solve the Schrodinger equation. And here, here we spend, you know, yeah. weeks solving for the hydrogen yeah. atom and learning Legendre polynomials and all, yeah. all, all these things. But if that's not being done, well, what, what are the key principles that we should be teaching? So knowing what are the careers people are going into and, and what's, what's the, the physics or, or data science or, or whatever it is they need to know that they really need to know so that we can, we can be preparing them for that. And this is going to mm -hmm. go back to the age-old argument of, you know, are we preparing students for careers in college or are we preparing them to be well-rounded individuals? And I guess, the, I don't know, the answer is yes, all yeah. the above. Uh, how, how, can we, how can we go about all the above? We can prepare them for critical thinking by also using topics that are going to be applicable for their future careers as well. I think those can go hand in hand. So that, that would be one I would be interested in, in seeing a whole talk of here's a bunch of these different types of careers and people from those careers. So not necessarily physics teachers, but people who are working in those positions and, and what they think is valuable. So do you have some ideas? What, what's, what's one you yeah, would like to see? The one I would like to see is, is related to that, I think. And that is, you know, you, you know, you talked about, wouldn't it be great if we could forget the way we've taught physics for the last hundred years mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, let's wipe the slate clean, get a Rosetta Stone of everything we know about physics and design our curriculum from there. I would like us to see us have an honest conversation. I think it would have to be that. I think it would have to be a conversation. I don't think this would be an invited session. This would probably be like a panel, a round table or something. But what honestly do we want the role of mathematics to be in physics education? Because mm. between the emphasis on model building and multiple representations and what you just mentioned of getting students ready for careers where they're not sitting down and solving the, the time independent Schrodinger equation as if such a thing even exists in nature. Um, <laughs> you know, they're not sitting down and doing closed form analytical solutions. And with the advent and ready availability of comp computational resources in the classroom to circumvent a lot of the mathematical baggage. What, what is our actual relationship with mathematics and what do we want it to look like? Obviously we're not gonna abandon it wholesale because we still have this rich mathematical formalism that, that really does encapsulate what we know. But how do we go about interacting with it in a way that extracts knowledge in service to us 
instead of us performing algorithms in service to the math, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like, like, like what, what is the role of formulaic algebra stuff in a world with Wolfram Alpha? What, what is the role of number crunching with a calculator in a world where I can import a Python library to solve just about any problem that I, that I put my mind to like, like, you know, you know, from, from, from high school physics to defending your PhD dissertation, what, what do we want our relationship with mathematics to look like? And I, I don't think that has to be the same answer for every individual or even for every department or, or, or institution. I, I, I think there's a lot of room for a variety there. And I think that maybe that's where we open up a lot of the DEI opportunities is by saying, mm. you know, this track with this university, with this group, whatever, is very heavy on algebraic representations. And this track is very heavy on computational representations. This track is very heavy on diagramming, you know, and that we're all kind of, we're, you know, we're all studying the same topics, but we're expanding that tool set beyond, well, let's go back to the chalkboard with a piece of chalk, you know? And I, I don't know what those conversations need to look like. I have no idea what, where we would even land on them, but I do know that we're starting to hear murmurs of that. And I would love to see that become an actual, you know, full-blown conversation. You know, if anybody from AAPT is listening and they have some weight, they're going to assign us to be the session moderators for those two sessions that we just proposed. Alrighty. Well, this has been, this one, we talked much longer than I, I thought we would have. I should have known uh, because of course we can talk about physics for, for an hour. I thought oh, oh, a little yeah. half hour of you and we are the uh, luckiest people in the world. Remember <laughs> that's right. We we're so lucky and we're sitting up till 1130 at night talking about this stuff. This is, this is good. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, in future years, I'll, I'll pick up a little more tech. We'll be live in meetings. I can just see myself walking around with the microphone talking to people, introverts, worst nightmare. Um, but <laughs> I, I, do I don't know how I'm going to do it <laughs> from the folks who do that in the geekdom world. You don't get to enjoy the conference if you do that. So mm-hmm. it is a wonderful, valuable service that you should get a grant for to fund yourself. Yeah. But yes. you won't enjoy <laughs> the meeting is what I hear. Thank you everybody for listening to this episode and this, uh, this banter. We look forward to our next day of reflections. And uh, until then, uh, enjoy your meeting and have a wonderful physics day. A wonderful physics day. I like that. (laughs) I guess it could, it can be a benediction as well as a greeting. Yeah. (laughs)